Okay, go ahead. Oh, my dog just moved. Hold on. <laughs> oh, good timing. Hi, this is Val from the Inspiration with Val podcast, and you are listening to Katie from the Biz Women Rock podcast. Perfect. That's what really happens behind the scenes during a bumper recording. <laughs> Thanks, Val. This is episode 88. What's going on, ladies? Welcome to the Biz Women Rock podcast. I'm your host, Katie Kremitzos, and I am bringing you tremendous stories from business women all over the world in all sorts of different industries so they can talk about their business journey so yours can be inspired by it. That intro is compliments of Valerie Groth, who hosts the Inspiration with Val podcast, who is just a guest on my show on episode 68. You got to go check it out. She's awesome. I am so excited to introduce you to my guest today. Her name is Jessica Kupferman, and she is the host of a podcast called Lady Business Radio. She is a hoot. She is a very, very funny lady, and she is also an online business owner uh, for over 10 years now, graphic design, branding. And today she and I really talk about what it takes to really be a leader in an online space, how to approach your social media so that you can truly build really high quality relationships and business. And peppered in there everywhere is a hell of a lot of humor because this girl is funny. <laughs> Turn up the volume, let's roll. Jessica, girl, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored. I think we could chat for like three hours before we actually like got sure. on talking about business. <laughs> sure, I need to come to Florida just so we can get it all out. I'm telling you, it's awesome. I really want to thank you for being here. You're here today because when I first even started thinking about podcasting, I immediately went into iTunes, went into Stitcher, and I was searching around for other podcasts about women in business. And you were the first, and might I add, the few, I don't know, actually, this is like Q4 of 2013, there was not many other people talking about women in business specifically. So you, Lady Business Radio came right up. I pressed play and immediately yeah. fell in love with you because your personality is so vibrant and just screams through the mic. And I've sort of had this little distant crush on you <laughs> ever since. Aww. But I have watched you. I love what you do. And I have so much respect for you as a businesswoman. So I'm so excited that you're here today. Thank you. That's so nice. Thank you so much. <laughs> what I really would like to do is I want to find out a little bit more about who you are as a business person, because in so much that's out there, people know kind of who you are and what you do, but I don't know if they really know the story behind who Jessica really is. So can you start a little bit with maybe why you got into business in the first place? A couple different things pushed me into having my own business. I mean, like, I will say that my entire working career starting from age 14 and ending at age 30 was uncomfortable and misanthropic like I was just I just always felt like oppressed in some way even as a teenager and so and I wouldn't say that any and through any of that point I ever thought like this is why I should own my own business I just always hated working for someone else there was always something I didn't like about it whether it was a coworker, whether it was my boss whether it was the commute the outfits whatever I just always found it irritating and annoying and then um my mother in 2004 she got sick 
and um, passed away, and she passed away from cancer about eight months later. Oh wow! At the time, and leading up to her being sick, like I, I like my my adult career, I was I was in advertising sales, and I was always selling banner advertising. That was my first job really out of college, besides you know a customer service rep somewhere. Was my first marketing job that had anything to do with my degree was selling banner advertising for the local paper here, DelawareOnline.com and then Philly.com. Wow. It was 1999, right? So I was selling banner ads to people who didn't even have websites. So they would be all ready to sign the contract and they'd be like, but where is it going to click to? <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? They're like, it'll click to your website. Oh, we don't have that. We don't have a website. Sometimes I would get asked, can they click it and call me on the phone? Oh, wow. And I was like, well, I'm not sure how that's going to work. So no. You need a website. And then I would consult them on what should be on the website and stuff like that. So that was the part I liked. I love the idea of designing a banner ad and designing the sales materials. I hated the sell part. I hated going in for the kill, the clothes, whatever you want to call it. That part was terrible for me. So I had already started to wonder like how I can get into this other part of marketing, this non-salesy, high heel wearing, schmoozy kind of marketing, the opposite of that. That's really what I wanted. And when she passed away, I thought, life is really too short to do the thing that you hate, the thing that you don't want to do anymore. So she had left me a little bit of money, and I, and I thought, I'm just going to quit my job. I'm going to go back to design school, and then I can get jobs doing design. But I knew I needed a way to make money, so I thought, well, maybe I can just make business cards and graphics for people on the side while I was doing it. And I had a business coach who specialized in people that have ADHD. So again, and she didn't even really leave me that much money. It was literally enough for like a computer, some design courses, a dopey creative suite, and a coach for like three months. So the first thing that the coach did was say, okay, this is how you're going to have to manage your time. You're going to have to work during the hours that you feel the smartest. And then, oh, by the way, here's two people who can be your client. Oh, wow. Nice. And I was like, oh, dang. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and so I started working with clients and that was almost 10 years ago. Throughout the 10 years, I have had to take um, the last one I did was in 2010, but I have had to take um, some contracting jobs here and there, two weeks here, six months there, just to keep income coming in when we needed it. Because it hasn't always been easy having a design business by yourself, especially when there wasn't social media. So as soon as social media popped out, I actually was in a contract at Subaru Corporate Headquarters. I was doing all their outbound emails. So if you're on their email list and you were back then, chances are I designed that, that shit. So <laughs> I, don't nice. can, I don't know if you can curse. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I should have asked you. So yeah. So during that time was when Facebook got really popular and I immediately saw a way to keep my business afloat without having to drive to Cherry Hill, New Jersey anymore. Like immediately I was like, oh my God, I can design things for people from anywhere. All I have to do is friend everybody I've ever met. It's perfect. So that's what I did. I started friending everyone I ever knew on Facebook. And then already I was following people who were freelance designers, social media consultants on Twitter, that started building relations, like really valuable relationships from the start, like with Mari Smith and Chris Brogan. I've been, we've been following each other on Twitter since like 2008. So can you go into a little bit more in detail? Because I think that when we think about being on social media and let's get business there and, and how amazing of a platform it is in order to open up those relationships. You know, you kind of say off the cuff, yeah, I started building these great relationships. That's great. What did you really do? Like, how did you really establish those relationships? And how were you making sure that they were valuable so that business was actually flowing back and forth? Honestly, I was making them laugh. 
that's what I was doing. The first thing I, I will tell you right now is I have never, nor will I ever be a sycophant. And by that, I mean a butt kisser. I've never told them how great they are. I've never told them how brilliant they are. I've never, I, I've always positioned myself as more of an intelligent observer and peer. Cause that's really what I am. I think, I mean, I know that they're a billion times more successful, productive, smarter than me, whatever. That's fine. But on webinars and stuff, if somebody would say something funny, sometimes I would tweet something funny. They would always appreciate it. They would always write back with an LOL or that's hilarious, that kind of thing. And they started to get to know me from that. It really wasn't like me challenging their opinions, me asking a billion questions, personal questions about my business, whatever. Part of that could be, Katie, is that like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fast learner. I'm not the kind of person that needs extra attention from like a webinar leader. Usually I can get concepts pretty quickly. So it leaves me with a lot of time to think up funny stuff. That's what I would do, really. And I mean, I'm not saying I would do it every five minutes or even often, but enough where if I was on a call, they knew I was on a call and I would say something that would make them giggle a little bit. And so that was on Twitter or, you know, if I was taking a course or something like that. The other half of that is just on Facebook, what would I do? So on Facebook, I just would friend people and I don't, not necessarily reach out. Like at first Facebook was a lot of your high school friends or, you know, it was like your, for me, it was like some kid in college and like my hairdresser. It was like my first, <laughs> it was like my first friends on Facebook. Right. But then every day I would check to see who was new, add them, who was new, add them. Sometimes it was people I, I didn't like in high school, but you kind of hope as an adult, you pass whatever it is that you didn't like about them 15 years ago. <laughs> that's hope, a, that's a hopeful outcome, right? It is a hope. It is a hope. Yes. But, um, sorority sisters, people I wrote for the college paper with, people I went to elementary school with. Like I just friended, friended, friended. And then sometimes there would be a little bit of, hey, how's it going? Great to hear from you. Once in a while, there would be a phone conversation. And then I would just sort of post like stuff I was thinking, articles I found interesting. If I burned dinner, a lot of it was me ruining dinner at first. <laughs> I've been learning how to cook like pretty much my whole life and I'm terrible at it. So like a lot of it was me just having problems because, I, again, that's also my way of being funny and relatable is showing where I'm crappy at things. <laughs> I know that's like terrible, but, you know, I mean, a lot of comedians are actually like that, right? Like you're, they're relatable by telling you like, obviously, you know, they're funny, but being relatable is sometimes saying, you know, oh, my God, my outfit so doesn't match today. Oh, well, what are you going to do? Right? Right, right. So people would relate to it. Once in a while, I would say. I got this, the greatest assignment from Subaru today. You guys have to see what I designed. Here's the link. And then, you know, because I think they were already liked me or emotionally invested in what I was saying all the time, they would look. And then they would go, oh, my God, she does this great thing. Well, I have someone that, you know, totally could use her. And so my business started to pick up just based on the fact that I was talking about myself personally so often. I don't live near my family. So, like, I would go home for, like, Passover and I would have somebody who you would never think would be like, I read your Facebook status every day like a comic strip. <laughs> I'm addicted. <laughs> I have to know what you've said today. And I'm so flattered by that because I like the idea that I'm entertaining and that people, you know, can't start their day without seeing what, what BS I've mentioned that morning. But also it really has helped people want to work with me. They feel like they already know me, even if, you know, it's what I call controlled vulnerability, right? So I'm not talking about, I almost never talk about political views. 
I never talk about, hardly ever talk about relationships and sex life, although I will say once in a while whether or not he and I are having a discussion and who's right. Ah, that's okay. fun things to answer, depending on how angry the other person is. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, TV, yes. Um, how you treat your mother, maybe not, right? But, like, but I do do that. And then no, no, not, no religion, maybe cultural religion, because as a Jew you can talk about bagels and fasting and stuff like that. But, you know, I don't really talk, get into the whole Israeli – Palestinian thing I don't really get into if I were Christian I don't think I would post a lot about the Bible or Christ just because I feel like you're alienating somebody if you talk if you're too religious on Facebook so I and I don't want to alienate I want to be relatable to everyone regardless of my religion my political stance whatever so it's been strategic I mean to be able to roll it off the tongue to you now this is after it was 2008 this is 2004 it's after six years of doing it consistently wow I've never heard that term before of like that controlled vulnerability. And I really yeah. like that because everyone talks about being authentic and be authentic so that people can right. really relate to you and really feel like you're real. And that's what differentiates you. And I think that especially in the social media space, you absolutely have to be authentic, but you really have to be very conscientious of what you're putting out there. Right. Obviously. And, but that is the relatable stuff. Like I'm the same yeah. way in a lot of my, as a writer, like I'm definitely like very vulnerable, like very, Hey, here's where I screwed up. I'm so very self-deprecating. Here's where I screwed up and here's a lesson yeah, I learned. And here's, it works, right? yeah, because people are like, Oh God, yeah. thank God. I'm not the only one who trips right. and falls too. <laughs> or they'll, or they'll offer to help you and maybe your shoe loose or just whatever. Yeah. But what I love about you, Jessica, is I love the fact that humor is that leading factor for you. And as a matter of fact, I was on your website and I saw a few of your little stand-up gigs that you did. And oh, God. you were hilarious. <laughs> storytelling. It's actually that storytelling. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I love that. And it, that whole persona, I mean, that's truly you. And But that is what people are interacting with. And that's why people really connected with you. And you just said it perfectly. That's why they end up doing business with you because they have a connection to you as a person. You make them yeah. laugh. There's something memorable about you. And oh, by the way, I need all these graphic things done for me too. So isn't that great? Yeah. I mean, when I was a designer, it really helped. It's changed a little bit since I've become a consultant because that aspect of my business has gotten a lot bigger. The whole part of being wanting to be a part of me or work with me, but not necessarily the thing I do. So that part's been challenging over the last year, especially having the podcast is like, I used to have this easy thing where I could just say, and here's what I offer, web design, social media design. It was a package that I could then deliver. Right. As a consultant, it's so different. And so I've even asked my audience or asked, you know, I have a Facebook group of, of listeners and guests, like, what do you guys want to learn from me? And if the answer is like, doesn't matter, whatever you do will be hilarious. That's just sort of like, oh, I'm the product. Mm. How do I sell that? What, what do I sell? But go, just going back to the controlled vulnerability thing, I just want to emphasize this because authentic is such a, it has become in the business space, such a meaningless word that I want to I wanna sort of define it in just a little bit of a different way because I, I want it to be helpful. So like when I, to me, the difference is between posting what you're doing versus how you feel about what you're doing. That is the thing that's interesting. What you're doing, nobody cares. Nobody cares about what you're doing, but it's how you feel about it that makes it fascinating. So if you are picking flowers, that's very nice. But if you're picking flowers in the sun and it reminds you of this or it 
fills you with joy, even if it's cheesy like that, it's way <laughs> more interesting, right? Then I like that distinction. Way more interesting. When people just state what it is that they're doing, they think, well, this is my authentic. It's not really your authentic self. Nobody is authentically shopping for groceries. But if they are freezing cold in the dairy aisle and didn't dress appropriately, that's hilarious, right? I like that. Lot, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so it's just really a matter of like how you feel about what you're doing at the time. And if, and then if you don't feel anything about what you're doing at the time, wait till you do for the love of God. <laughs> don't post for the sake of posting, right? Yes. Wait until you have something funny or interesting to say. And if it doesn't come up for a day or so, that's all right. Post an article instead or something that you do feel something about. So you did touch upon the fact that you spend so much of your time consulting now and definitely going into the podcast. Were you consulting before you started the podcast or did the podcast really give birth to a consulting business? I was starting to consult before the podcast. I, starting the podcast was also a shift in the stuff that I wanted to do. Because as I said earlier, like doing the graphics and social media really was born out of a need to stop hustling and selling for other people. I saw the graphics as like a nice, peaceful way to still be in marketing and be creative without having to hustle all the time. And then um, when when graphics moved into web and social media, I, w I noticed that I started to really enjoy the working with the other person. But then when I would get off the phone, I would have like 30 hours of design work to do. And that made me kind of sad and procrastinate. And it was kind of lonely. And I was like, oh, I don't I don't want to do this. I don't want to install the plugins. I'll tell you which ones you need. But don't make me install them myself. Like that just seems like a, a waste of my brain kind of. So that's why I started to shift into consulting. And at the same time, I also had the realization that it really wasn't where my skills were anyway. Like, like people want to talk to me and work with me. Like th this other skill is just something I happen to be able to do. But it's not, you know, you shouldn't always make a business that's something you happen to be able to do. Right? I also can whistle. It doesn't mean I should stand on the street corner and make money doing that, right? So, Although I bet you'd be pretty darn good. You can make a living out of that in Key West. <laughs> honestly, you know, my dad can whistle flight of the bumblebee. That's tough. <laughs> no that skill. I'm not that good. Yeah. I'm not that good. I'm pretty good. I, I practice a lot, but I'm not that good. So I wanted to start, you know, once you realize where your strengths and your skills are and what they call your zone of genius – you sort of want to go in that direction. So the podcast was definitely in that direction. I know speaking is in that direction. I know teaching is in that direction. And so I figured consulting would be a good place to start because it's more talking and less tech work. So it all sort of shifted at the same time. When did you launch the podcast? May 2013. Gotcha. So as of the time of this recording, you've been about a year and a half, really, almost a year and a half of yeah. doing your podcast. You do it twice a week. You really have great conversations with business women, And what I love about your podcast is that it's so free-flowing. I mean, it's totally, you don't know where it's going. And that is so interesting. And it's really fun to listen to. As that was solidifying, what kind of like major things did you learn along your journey as a podcaster? Are you talking about podcasting or about business in general? Either or both. I mean, okay. were there sort of like mile markers where you're like at month six, you were like, oh man, I need to be a little bit more creative with this, with this form. Like, or, yeah. you know, wow, I realize my listeners are this, you know, like what kind of like major um, points in there were sort of like pivotal learning lessons for you? The first thing I learned was that I was desperate and had no other choice but to outsource some stuff. Something that I've been wrestling with my entire 
career as a businesswoman because as a tech person, when you're fast and you're smart, anybody you hire isn't going to be as good as you and therefore you can't trust anybody. And so at least I'm not saying that's reality. I'm saying that's in my head. So up until having a podcast, I was completely determined to do all tech work myself because I could just do it faster and I didn't want to give the money away. But once I started a podcast and there was all kinds of guest maintenance, getting their headshot, their bio, their information, reminding them, telling them thank you, and even just setting up a good time to meet. Like you can set up schedule once and that's all fine and good, but you still also need someone I think to like that was fine. So I set up a scheduling system and you think you're all set, right? But now there's people on a regular basis saying, I know someone who would be great to be on your show. Right. Or how do you get on your show? Or what do I have to do to get on your show? And then I'm like, oh, I don't have a system for that. I'm answering people three times a day and like having to research them myself. So then I have to create a form for that and then vet those requests. And then similarly, people who want to interview me and I have no system for that. I mean, podcasts, you don't really need a system, but when someone wants you to be on a tele-summit or when someone wants you to be part of like a JV partnership, there's information I need to know before I say yes. Like for me, in order for it to be worth my time, how big is their audience already? Who else is going to be on the thing? How long is my commitment? How much promotion do you need from me? And having a phone conversation for all that is too time intensive. That actually brings me to the next thing, which is um, I learned very quickly that I have to have very strict boundaries on my time, something I valued before but didn't exactly have in place because I like to be a little miss accessible, which I still feel like I am, but those, do you have 15 minutes to chat on the phone or Skype? The answer is no, no and never, pretty much. Right, you right. If it's 15 minutes, type it up. <laughs> I will, you know, don't. Don't hog my time with your 15 minutes. I'm busy and, I, and my life is very scheduled and that's so that I can get something done. Not so I can get lots of stuff done. It has to be scheduled so I can get something done, right? Right. So boundaries, outsourcing, those are the two things I learned right away. And then later when I started a community for my podcast and I started Lady Business Bomb Squad, I really had no intention on being an obnoxiously dictator type leader. I wanted the people who liked my show, who were guests, who were listeners, to sort of govern themselves because the idea is, well, you're attracting people who are just like you, right? So naturally, they're going to know what's douchey and what's not in a group. No, that's not the case. And you, and if you are in the position of being a leader, sometimes whether you like it or not, you have to act as one and be one. You can't just let people post who they like and don't like in your group. And like, okay, so if my group was 50 people and someone posts, never hire this person, they stole from me, that's fine. But I did have that happen to me in a group of 400 women, most who are in, I mean, now it's up to 600, but at the time it was 400, most of who are in the same business and that circle. And I thought, wow, that could really take a chunk out of her business. I can't really allow that. I, I want to warn people in my group, but at the same time, I don't want to affect someone else's income in quite that same way. So even though I originally was like, yeah, that person sucks, because she does. Originally, you know, and then I thought, I, that's not really a leadership thing to do. I have to take it down and then say, and then ask, and then I took it down. But then I asked the group, how would you deal with this in your own group? On the one hand, I don't want her to steal from the rest of you. But on the other hand, I don't want it to affect her business either. And not everyone agreed. So I just felt bad about leaving it up. But it's sort of like, I'm like a reluctant leader, but you are. And so, and also there's other people who 
don't agree with your agenda that they should govern themselves and will put their own agenda in there every single day. Look at this article I wrote, Hope It's Helpful. Yep. Here's a tip for you today, Hope It's Helpful. I mean, you want to add, If I just feel like your tips, you may think are useful, but most people, if it's, you know, if most people already know that stuff, like, hey, make a to-do list today, that's not adding value. Do you delete a lot of the stuff that comes through there that might be under that category? Not anymore, because I don't have to anymore, but I did at first, oh. yeah. I did it first. Now I set them straight, right? Who's the hammer now, Jessica? I know. (laughs) I am the, you are the active hammer though. I'm like the reluctant, I'm like the all right kind of hammer. I am. We Jessica and I had a separate conversation a week ago, and, and I was telling her how I'm sort of internally known as the enforcer within my organization, and she kindly dubbed me the hammer, which actually is a lot sexier than the enforcer. Yeah. If you think about summer camp, and you and I were camp counselors, you're the one that has the agenda and the itinerary already planned, and it's all ready to go. I'm the one taking a nap, woken up by chaos, and then get it, and then I get angry. And I'm like. I like that. I'm like the lazy, angry counselor, and you're like the positive. Let's go. I have it all planned, and no one's deviating from the plan. Boom. <laughs> that kind of hammer. A little bit of that, and I've got the you know whistle in hand, ready to go. <laughs> Come on, I would, guys. I would exactly. I would much rather be your way. But, I mean, <laughs> but it was a good lesson to learn. Now I know better, and I can have my own agenda and itinerary, and not be asleep when things are happening. Right. That's very true. Now, what is pretty unique about podcasting and really setting up this Facebook group because I have a Facebook group as well called the BWR Connect and it does very similar things. It attracts really great businesswomen, right? So, and there's basically being the heads of your group and being this woman who is talking to tens or hundreds of thousands of women mm-hmm. every single week on our podcast, you are in this role of being seen as this leader within the business community. So what kind of effect has podcasting really had on your business? And what kind of effect has that role in being seen as the leader of this Facebook group? What true effect has that had for your business? Well, first of all, it's really caused me to rethink whatever pricing I, I was using before. Like when you've been in business and even in, in a certain space for more than, you know, 15 years, like I have, I was used to pricing my services as affordable for people because I don't want to gouge them as far as consulting is concerned. And I always felt like people who charged $1,000 an hour or $5,000 an hour were completely out of their minds. And I still kind of think that. But I will also say that when your time is more limited, it's also more valuable. And also when your knowledge is greater your time is more valuable. And when there are so many other business consultants and people out there, but someone wants you specifically, your your time is more valuable. And so my pricing, I've been able to reflect it so that if I am going to spend time talking to someone one-on-one for an hour, it needs to feel like beneficial for both of us, I guess. So I've done away with like, you know, the $100 an hour consulting fees. It's not worth it for me anymore because there's other ways I can generate more money if I don't use that hour working with someone 101. Does that make sense? Yeah, makes perfect sense. Yeah, so that's the first thing. And then the second thing is I noticed that I'm requested to weigh in and uh, be interviewed and stuff like that. And I actually really like that. That part makes me really happy and humble that my opinion would be, I don't know, requested, respected. That you're seen as an industry leader and somebody who can speak about your particular areas of topics. Yeah. But you know, to be honest with you, like I'm always been the type of a person where like, like kind of like what I said about Facebook, like I see Facebook, I see exactly what it's for as far as business is concerned. 
and I jump on it and then I sort of drag everyone else behind me. And so I'm sort of doing that with podcasting now. Where it's like I, I saw an opportunity to give people a taste of myself that I couldn't give through blogging. And now that I've done it and it's worked out well, I have to turn around behind me and go, look, this is so, you got to try this. Like, what are you, how come you're not doing it too? So on the one hand, it feels like being an industry leader. On the other hand, I sort of feel like um, I always have to like pull people to adopt, pull, pull, pull. If that makes sense. Well, and that leads us directly into the conversation I wanted to have about monetizing the podcast mm. and monetizing yourself as a leader in the community. There's one thing with you actually having a consulting business and that's how you're producing income, but there's so much potential. Once you build a community and once you establish yourself as somebody who's a leader in that community who gives value after value after value, you can absolutely monetize that very, very well. So one of the things that you've done is you've actually created a course for women in podcasting. So can you talk about maybe a few of the ways that you have chosen to monetize and what that has done for you? So the first way I started monetizing the show was actually advertising. And I'm in Podcasters Paradise, John Lee Dumas' Podcasters Paradise, but I, and he has a specific numerical formula for how much you should charge based on the number of downloads. But as I told you, I've been in internet advertising since 1999. You know, I know how banners work. I know how much clients will pay for impressions, et cetera. So, and also, he has a show that's geared towards everyone, whereas my show is only geared towards women. That's only 30% of the whole iTunes listenership. Let's cut that in half and assume that 15% have their own business or want to start one, right? So there's no way I'm ever going to get 1,000 downloads equals $15 for an ad. And so if you have 15,000 downloads per episode, you get to have 150. Like, that's never going to happen for, for any woman. Any woman. So I thought, you know what? I don't like that formula. I know what to charge for ads because I've been doing it practically my whole career. So, and because it was a new show and I knew I didn't have John Lee Dumas or really any kind of downloads, I just thought, okay, well, you know, I'm getting like a couple hundred an episode. That's probably worth $100 a month. If someone wants that kind of exposure for a hundred dollars a month, they'll probably get at the beginning of my show. It was like 2000 downloads a month. That's not nothing. Smaller people would start to advertise. And then as the show grew, so did the prices. As the show grew, I started to take more advertisers. So as the show grew, I started to put them in more spots and I can, can create like a certain amount of clicks, not clicks, uh, impressions. You can never promise clicks. You can only promise that they'll, the ad will be seen, never that it'll be clicked on. I know it'll be shown at least 10,000 times on my website. I know I'm going to send it to 5,000 email subscribers. I know I'm going to tweet it out to 10,000 people. I know at least 6,000 people are going to see it on Facebook. I can promise you that. I can't promise that you, as with any banner advertising, you can never promise any business from it, only exposure. So if you sell it that way, doesn't matter if you have the same numbers I just told you or a quarter of that. Right. Someone, you know, but if you're, if you're doing a doggy podcast, what if it's just a podcast about golden retrievers? Some dog food that specializes in golden retriever food, they're going to want to advertise with you. It doesn't matter how many downloads you have. And it will never matter how many downloads you have. And I thought that was an important message. So first I started doing advertisers. And then my second plan was I started thinking – First of all, I, I love John. And actually, I wouldn't have a podcast without John Dumas. But, but I did sort of feel like I had stuff I could put in a course that he maybe couldn't put, like branding help, how to make, the, how to make art look good, how to name a show. Because I have 
first of all, this design background, and I'm a little bit of a copywriter, so I thought if I could keep the class small, I could really give individualized attention by helping people sort of work through the the branding and the copywriting of it. And then I noticed that like his marketing stuff, like the grow your show part was really about how to use Facebook, Google Plus, Twitter. And so I thought, you know what, I, I would rather teach them how to strategize, not just how to use Facebook, how to start a page, but also how to automate it, how to, because we're busy. We don't have time to tweet four times a day. I want to show them how to schedule it, how to automate it, what they should do on show days, what the, they should do off show days. If I had to create it myself in my head, I wanted to share it with other women who were b too busy to come up with it on their own. One of the points I want to bring up, Jessica, is that for anyone listening, just as a quick educational thing. So John Dumas has started Entrepreneur on Fire podcast yeah. that has really launched an entire education about how to podcast for a lot of people. I'm in yeah. Podcasters Paradise myself. Like it, yeah. it was a major catalyst for a lot of podcasters getting into the game. So one of the things that I think that you're saying that's really smart is that even though that quote unquote product of how to podcast exists out there, and by the way, it definitely exists outside of John Dumas as well. I mean, there are plenty of people who have the how yeah, to podcast. Cliff Ravenscraft. Of course. Dan. So you're really creating this, even though there's stuff in the marketplace for it, I love your attitude about not only are you kind of talking to women, but even more than that, like you're just, you bring something new and innovative to it. So there's more than enough room for something in the marketplace is really the point I'm trying to get at. I mean, yeah, I thought so. Like, and again, like I love John, but also for me, probably unlike you, I already had a show for six months before Podcasters Paradise even existed. I joined Podcasters Paradise to see if it could bring me up to that level. Once I realized it couldn't, I thought, well, yeah, but there are things he could tell us that could. I'm going to tell people that instead. And also, I looked into the other ones too, Pat Flynn, Cl Cliff Ravenscraft, and there's another one called School of Podcasting. But I thought, as a, even, even as a tech teacher, I looked at those and kind of felt like, Wow, there's a lot of tech going on in there. Like, what's this mixer for? I don't. I, every all, every single one of those guys has like a mic coming down from their ceiling with a pop filter and the whole thing. And I thought, women are going to run, run from that. <laughs> By the it's way, scary. if you could only see this yuck, kind of like put together duct tape type of setup I have. <laughs> right now, I have twenty dollar earbuds in with a mic. I like, love it. <laughs> yeah, they're iHome, and it's just put into my laptop. And I mean, I I own a microphone, but I just don't always use it because I don't I don't know that I can tell the difference. You sound really great. One of the things that I don't think I've ever shared with anyone is that in a very professional podcasting studio, you're going to have like these foam walls or foam something around you in order to catch the the noise so you don't have reverberations off the wall. Right. So literally when I was first beginning, I was like, oh my God, those things are like, like if I really truly wanted to deck out my entire studio, that would be like upwards of like a thousand bucks to do that, if not yeah. more. So I was like, no way. No so way. I literally, I pulled a Linda Kreenitz, that's my mom. And I was like, whatever, I'm going to the thrift store. And I went to Big Lots and I got one of the egg carton mattresses. And that literally, it, it's, idea. it's ugly, but it's it's right behind me right now. It's right, I mean, it's behind my computer in front of me and it is the best for noise cancellation. Okay. It's awesome. I wouldn't have even thought of that. 20 I bucks. mean, I'm in a room <laughs> with hardwood floors right now. <laughs> You got it. You got a foam mattress, it girl. 
cold <laughs> carpet or anything. No, I mean, I change rooms all the time. I get bored looking at the same thing. So <laughs> what really happens have behind a the podcast. scenes? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't even have a podcasting studio. And then the last reason I wanted to start it is because in some of those, and even in the regular, let's just say you don't even take a course, but you're in like a bunch of podcasting communities, Facebook groups, stuff like that. Oftentimes I, I see women ask a question and then men immediately jump in to answer and you can tell very transparently they're trying to establish themselves as like some type of expert in something. It may not be podcasting, but it could be marketing or business or something like that because they want to be hired right away. And the other part of that is that oftentimes their solutions are DIY, uber complicated, set up a feed burner so you can track your subscription. Women, no, we're not going to do that. It's like if you, if you want to see how many subscribers you have in iTunes, the best way to do it is when you first put out your show – However many downloads you have within the first two hours, that's usually people who are subscribing. Other than that, there's really they don't tell you setting up a feed burner and hooking it up to libs. I mean, that's like time-consuming, confusing, and you have no idea if you're doing it right or if it's even accurate. You'll never know if it's accurate. So it's like, why would you even bother with that? Don't you have someone to feed? I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica, throughout all of your time as a business owner and throughout all of the evolutions that your business continues to take, what's been of the most rough moments that you've ever had? Oi. There was a year there in 2012, I had a business partner that was very rough. She, it was just not a good match. A bunch of different reasons. The time commitment that we both wanted to put in, the brand I was trying to build, she was kind of off brand for that. We we're so different, such different people. Like at the time, my business was called Badass Biz. And she loved that idea and thought it was great, but she was kind of like a crafting type mom who lived in Oklahoma, who was like into like inspirational quotes and stuff. Like that's all very wonderful. And I really liked her, but none of that is badass to me. And so I was just like, and she would actually, because we were partners, she would post some of that stuff like on our page, our business page. And then after about a week, my sister called and asked if I had been in a car accident. Why? Because it was nice all the time. <laughs> And she was like, are you okay? Like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, oh, I'll just tell her to put her name so people know that she... And then when I asked her, she got really angry. Like, I think it's really sad that you're trying to be nice. People will think that you're, like, sick. And I'm like, well, you wouldn't say that to Joan Rivers. <laughs> it's not really sad. I'm perfectly fine with the way people see me, and I don't need it to be a different way. But anyway, it was really more about the time. So getting out of that was very painful. Ending it was really painful. But this was all right around, again, the same time that I, I realized what I was doing in business wasn't what I wanted to be doing anyway. That I needed to completely shift focuses. And so that was like two years ago. And I'm kind of going through a really hard time right now, to be honest with you. Sometimes even with success, a next step can be hard to find. Especially, like I said, when you realize that you are the product, then you're sort of like, well, aside from one-on-one -on -one consulting, which when I'm having a baby, I won't be able to do, what will there be if it's not going to be one-on-one -on -one consulting? How can I offer myself as a product if I'm not available? How can I do that? And so I'm having a really hard time finding the answer to that, I guess. And I think also I'm not sure I'm mentally capable of answering that question right now either because... <laughs> My brain isn't working as well as it normally would be, and I'm much more emotional than I have ever been in business ever. For example, if I have a webinar and within the first two hours I only have like 20 people sign up, I'm ready to jump off a cliff. Oh, it wow. needs to be like 200 people like right <laughs> away. 
as a side note, just in case you didn't get this, Jessica is pregnant right now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm like six months pregnant. So if you ask me again in six months, perhaps the answer will be being pregnant and having a business was a tough time. What I'm describing as a problem may not even be a problem. I just can't, I'm not even sure I can tell if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? So. Well, Jessica, (laughs) I really want to kind of bring this conversation to a close by asking Hopefully not on that note. Not on that note. No, we're going to end with this. (laughs) By asking your favorite five. Are you ready? This is like, this is like quick, quick faves. Okay. So number one, your favorite business tool. Favorite business tool is Google Docs for sure. Nice. Number two, your favorite book. Doesn't have to be business, just favorite book. Oh my God. Wait, I first have to think the last time I read a book. Hold on. Oh, you know what? (laughs) My favorite books are often David Sedaris essays. (gasps) I love David Sedaris, by the way. You do? Yes. The very first time I ever read Me Talk Pretty One Day, it's the very first book I've ever read that I laughed out loud and was like peeing my pants because I was laughing out loud. And then every Christmas I read the holidays one because I love reading about him dressed up as an elf and how miserable it is. So funny. And you know what? When I finally heard him on audio, his voice was so different than what I thought he was going to be, but he's hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. I heard his voice first. I've oh, heard, gotcha. I've heard him on NPR way before I read a book. Yeah, so I actually knew what to expect with that. Got it. David Sedaris. Okay, good one. I yeah. like that. Okay, yeah. third one. Favorite food? Italian. P- pasta. Penny <laughs> pasta, bolognese, pizza, anything Italian, really. Nice. You're getting me hungry now. Bread, salad, all of it. <laughs> it's lunchtime here. I know. I know. Favorite social media platform? Facebook, without question. I will never give up Facebook. And I hate when people say they're ready to quit Facebook. Mm. It's ridiculous. Never. Lastly, yeah. favorite person that you look up to? Oy vey. Favorite person I look up to? That's so hard. Somebody either in business or somebody just like you, either historical figure to anyone, like somebody that you look up to. Mm. You guys are going to laugh, but like when this question is asked, I know people say like Brendan Bouchard or Brene Brown. I always say the same people. Gilda Radner, Carol Burnett, Lucille Ball, Tina Fey, women who were funny during times and in places when it was not cool for women to be funny. Love that. And they just went, I don't care. And actually, Tina Fey, you would think that's not true for her, but it really is. And Gilda Radner, I don't know if people know this, but John Belushi used to refuse to act in any sketch that a woman wrote. Really? Because he said said women weren't funny. Oh, wow. So so to be on that show and to try and get your sketches on with an actor that refused to do it, I just think that's like the bravest thing ever. And Gilda Radner is one of the funniest people ever. Usually the women comedians, only because I feel like they went through so much more hardship, especially in the past, than they do now. So Great answers on those. Where can people go to get some more information about your show and what you're doing? So ladybusiness.biz is where the show is. That's my website. And then if you were interested in joining the group and seeing my lackadaisical leadership, it's ladybusiness.biz forward slash bomb squad. And then if you have ever thought about having a podcast, podcastingschoolforwomen.com is the name of the course. Thank you, Katie. Your show is amazing. Absolutely. And all those links will be in the show notes for you guys to have access to. So Jessica, thank you so much. It's truly been just such a fun time chatting with you. Thank you. It's been an honor. Thank you so much. on over to bizwomenrock.com and you'll be able to see Jessica's beautiful face there and get access to all the show notes, her fabulous five favorites, as well as some super cool quotes that I got out of this. And um, you will also see very easily there how you can um, request to get access to the private Facebook group, BWR Connect. I know we spoke a little bit about, you know, the, our Facebook group. So 
Um, man, I really enjoyed that conversation with Jessica. Um, she had such great things to share. And I just have to say this, since this conversation, I had the opportunity to meet her in person at the podcast movement, which was the first annual sort of podcasting conference with a bunch of podcasters there. And she and I just kind of like fell in love. We were like sisters all of a sudden. And um, I totally believe in what she's doing. She, as we mentioned before, she has just come out with this podcasting school for women. I'm a huge believer in it. Um, she gives great information there. So I highly recommend if you are considering doing a podcast or you just keep hearing about what podcasts kind of are, it is such an incredible way to really get the word out there about who you are, what you do, and to really make an impact. Obviously, uh, you know, I have a specific vantage point about this. I love podcasting. So if it's something that you're interested in, please go to bizwomenrock.com. Reach out to me directly. I'm happy to chat with you about it. But Jessica's just got such a great course for that. Thank you so much for being here today, and I can't wait to see you on the next show.